Hello there and welcome to episode 41 of The Game Pit. My name's Sean and this is another one of our Picking Over the Bones episodes. Hey, it's Ronan here. As usual, our Picking Over the Bones episodes, we're going to be looking over four games. And my choices for this time around are Hoyuk and Omen, A Reign of War. And my choices are going to be 8 Minute Empire and Titan Tactics. Also in this episode is your last chance to enter our competition to win a brand new copy of Hoyuk with our friends at the Mage Company. So listen out for the question later in the episode and email us at thegamepitcompetition at gmail.com to get your entry in by the 28th of February. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network along with the very best in gaming podcasts. Okay, so first up for this episode is 8 Minute Empire, which is a 2012 release from Red Raven Games designed by Ryan Laukat. Now, we've talked about Ryan before. He designed The Ancient World, which was a game that we both enjoyed. He also did City of Iron and Empires of the Void. The game plays 2-5 to players with a suggested playing time of 15 minutes, but I'm going to say that it probably runs more than that. It is a card drafting, area control, and set collection game. So to explain the game, I'm going to just start with the initial setup of the game, which revolves around a map divided into continents, and with each continent divided into regions. Six cards are placed along the top edge of the map, above spaces that show the cost for each card, ranging from zero to three coins. Players are going to start with cubes representing armies, and discs act as cities. They will also start with a set number of coins and these are going to be the only coins that they have throughout the game as there are no opportunities to earn more. The general gist of the game is to gain dominance in as many regions and continents on the board as you can and to collect goods and multiple good collection is going to score you points. So on to how you play the game. The cards above the map are what drive the whole game. As I said, the cards will cost you 0, 1, 2 or 3 coins and players are going to choose which card they would like and pay the appropriate cost. So why do you want these cards? Well, the cards work in two ways. Firstly, they are going to provide one of the following immediate actions. You're going to place X amount of armies on the board and they're going to go on an area with one of your cities or on the starting city space. You're going to move an amount of your armies that are already on the board and they cannot move across water with this action. And the next action is going to be you're going to move an amount of armies over land and water. So that's the action that's going to allow you to move across waters and go into new continents. The penultimate action is to build cities. This is going to allow you to place your armies in other areas of the board, which in turn will allow you to spread your forces more quickly and efficiently. And finally, you can destroy your opponent's armies. The second thing that the cards do is supply a good type. This is how the set collection element of the game works. The goods stack up and you will earn points depicted on the cards for amassing certain numbers of goods, with different goods being more valuable than others. For example, you would have to gather far more carrots to achieve the same points as maybe two or three rubies would provide. There is also a wild card that players can choose what good it is. Once the card has been claimed, the remaining cards slide to the left to fill the gap and a new card is added to the far right side. The card just purchased by the player 
is placed in front of them on the table face up and once a certain number of cards are face up in front of each player this depends on the player count what the number actually is the game is going to end and scoring will be calculated by looking at dominance in each region then each continent and finally the set collection scores are added it's not a particularly difficult game to to learn or teach ronan what were your thoughts on eight minute empire well, yeah, we'll go with that. It's not a particularly difficult game. It is absolutely simplicity in a box. And that is probably the biggest plus for the game. It's not a micro game that tries to be too clever. It's not trying to get too much going on. It's very simple. You just purchase a card and do what the card tells you to do. Like I say, it's probably the biggest plus for the game in that that's what you're looking for out of a micro game. It's also something of a negative, though. Maybe we'll get delve into that a bit deeper thing that I wanted to talk to you about as our theme man though is how's that theme for you or do you feel like you are building an empire albeit in slightly more than eight minutes so Ronan I find some of the elements of the actual gameplay to be quite thematic in as much as you are starting from nothing you are spreading across this map that is in front of you and you're generating these new spawn points and you're trying to get across this very basic map in terms of do i feel like the cubes are armies probably not the right use of them at all because they're not armies they there's no combat in this game apart from you just take a random cube off somebody else if you get that action so maybe not the most thematic game but there is an element of it for me that might be your Ryan Laucat fanboy in coming out there. Oh no! Wait, no. I've, I'm going to talk about the art in not the, the most not glowing terms. Way. No, no, no. no we're not used all. to hearing that from you. I, I, well, okay. Just sticking with the theme. I, I don't feel anything there at all. I really don't feel like I'm building an empire. Especially maybe the fact that it's wooden cubes helps it feel even more abstract than it would do if there were different components. I'm, I'm not feeling the theme. You touched on the artwork. Do you want to take us on that little flight of fantasy? Well, I just think it is. Uh, it's a very bland-looking game. Now we we've talked about Ryan Laucat's work before. In the ancient world is stunning. All these other games. He's got a new game coming out, Above and Below. The artwork already looks amazing for that. Big big fan of his the design quality and the artwork on these games. But this one is very bland. The only real artwork you could talk about other than this quite basic map is the ship cards that act as the bonus good resources there's actually a picture of a ship on them and there's a picture of a ship on the front of the box other than that there isn't there's two pictures of ships and you're calling that the exactly that's this is it there's not a lot else in there apart from the the, yeah the goods the the goods but for some reason the fact that it's carrots just puts me off (laughs) i don't know what it is it's just the, the rubies yeah there's little bits of coal or something like coal but the carrots are a bit odd I, I, I don't know it's just supposed to represent general food I don't know why yeah, it's but why carrots, carrots? <laughs> I don't know why it's, it's a very specific carrots. odd thing to have as, <laughs> I don't know maybe it's no more odd than grain that's just what we're used to okay yeah it's, it doesn't it doesn't catch the eye like other Ryan Laucat games but back to the gameplay the paying for cards you have a very limited amount of money. You're barely more than one coin per round, generally. Is the paying for the card sort of worth the extra hassle of working out, shall I spend zero or one? Do you think it would work just as well if you just had three cards to choose from each round and you just took one of those three cards? I kind of like that mechanism, if you like, in the game. I, I like the fact that you've kind of got a budget slightly. You can't just go for the ultimate card or the optimum card for your game straight away. Is this and... your addition to budget? 
It is my addiction to budget and economy. I, I like that aspect of it. Do I pay those three coins because I really need that card or do I risk the fact that it's going to slide down and it's going to become more accessible to the other players but then if I take that big plunge, spend three coins, as you said, you don't get a lot of coins. It's going to be a big hole in my overall budget. I like that just tiny little conundrum in the middle of the game. Hmm, okay. The set collection aspect of it. Now, in the base game, you only get set collection from the cards that which you buy. Also, there's that kind of mini expansion in there whereby some goods get left around the board. They're far away from the starting city. If you go and conquer that area, you get to collect a token, which is a bonus thing. How does it feel for you, the set collection? I'll, I'll throw it out there. It feels a bit tacked on. wasn't that excited by it. See, I, I thought it worked a lot better, the set collection element in the ancient world, for instance. It works in a, in a very shallow sort of but do you ever choose the card based on set collection? I do, I do. I think we played a game recently where you went for basically the area dominance on the map and I went for all the set collection stuff and it's the only choice you've really got. Do you choose set collection or do you choose the action? If they match, then happy days, then it's an obvious card for you. But if they don't match, what do you go for? Have you got, have you got five carrots and you need that six to make your, make your carrots up? Why couldn't you say something else? Because I know you're obsessed with the carrots. <laughs> they just <don't> upset me. <laughs> Okay. I, don't, yeah, I think I think tacked on. You, you said you use the word tacked on. I think that's a little bit harsh, but I don't think it's the most brilliantly interwoven mechanism into a game I've ever seen. But I think it it does a job. It, it's something else to think about. For me, these are all just kind of small things. Like it doesn't look great. It's got the wooden cubes. The set collection seems a bit funny. The purchasing cards. I'm rarely going to spend that three on that one card. It's it's not often that vital. If in a game that's got four or more players, the cards almost completely reset by the time it comes around to me anyway, so it's not like I can plan on what I'm going to take. They all add together to kind of remove me from the game in, in small steps. It's not a game that I dislike, actually, and when it comes to somewhere we'll talk about it, but it's got these funny little things, and maybe we'll just carry on talking about this iteration for a minute. When we talk about what he's done with the system and how he's gone into two other games I think we're going to see there he's moved in a design path which is more towards I think more towards my taste and I think you're going to agree with me maybe I'm wrong anyway back to this one quickly in terms of maps surely the spreading out actions are the most important ones the ones that let you get across the sea because there's so few of them in any game that if you can get across to one or two of those continents you've got a real good chance of claiming the continent scoring a bonus point and being in a strong position if you never get those ship cards you're really struggling yeah that was one of my major points I feel like I'm almost defending the game and kind of think we're seeing from the same hymn sheet when we do finally sum up but that problem and I call it a problem it is so random whether you get that ship card. That is the, probably the one that you might spend the three on. Because you don't know if another one's going to come out. There's a lot of cards that can come out. If you don't get that ship card, then you can't spread it out into the other continents. The other players that do manage to get there, or other player if it's a two-player game, they've got carte blanche to just go spread their wings. It's not a problem for them to get those extra points. And that's where the lion's share of the points are going to come from having the regions within the continents. I felt that the continents should score a little bit better. If you achieve dominance in a continent, it should be more than one point that you get at the end of the game. So certainly for the central continent, I feel Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah, I thought, I that's thought... very hard fought over. And to have that the same as, well, I got a lucky ship card, so I get one bonus point for the one being the person who managed to get across to a corner, as opposed to, well, this is where all the troops come in, and I've taken dominance here, and I've fought for it, and I said I only get one point. Was it worth it? 
yeah, I agree. That was definitely an issue for me, the ship cards. I'll talk a little bit later about 8-Minute Empire Legends, but it's well, that's one of the things that 8-Minute Empire Legends actually does fix. 8-Minute Empire Legends is, I think, the game that this one maybe should have been. I think he's updated it. It even says on Board Game Geek it re-implements this game. So I'll talk about it a little bit later. Well, no, let's, let's move on to it, because 8-Minute okay. Empire is not that big a game that we need to go over and over and over every tiny little thing. Why don't you summarise the changes he makes for Legends, and then maybe we can comment on them. Well, talk about what we've already just gone through. Uh, he's updated the artwork. Each of those map tiles, they're individual map tiles. They're the artworks there. Every card has got characters. The cards do do different things. They give you an ongoing power, for instance. It's not just your one-off power that you get, a one-off action that you get at the bottom of the card. There's an ongoing small bonus, and they can chain together. All of a sudden, you've got things that are chaining together, which brings a whole new element to the game. But as I mentioned a moment ago, he fixes the crossing the water aspect of the game. The ship cards are removed, and it costs you three movement points to get across. And there are these ongoing actions that can help you, like the, I think it's flight, there's a little pair of wings, and they help you to get over more easily. But still, you have to spend action points to get across water, which I think that completely solves the problem of getting those random ship cards. It's Legends definitely feels like a step forward and the biggest step forward for me is that special powers as opposed to set collection on the cards and now you have got a genuine choice to make and the powers like you say change so it adds a lot to it in very simple steps not a lot of rules overheads this might run a tiny bit longer than 8 minute empire which 8 minute empire was a 15 20 minute game in reality as opposed to 8 minutes legends possibly slightly longer but i think for that slight increase in length you get a lot more game to it it doesn't feel as abstract it doesn't feel as simple maybe the artwork just simply simple that pulls you in a little bit more but the special powers for me are the key to the difference in the step up and the evolution of this system from empire to legends it was, it's a good step up i like it got the set collection going on but it's not as blatant and as you said it doesn't feel as sort of added as maybe tacked on is too harsh a word as I said but it and it's as if Ryan Laukat's reading my mind and every time he's re-implementing this system he's bringing in something else I like so when he went to Legends he brought in the special powers which I really enjoy and now this year he's bringing out 8 Minute Empire Lost Lands and this brings in one of my favourite things in the world Sean card drafting Oh, you do like a card draft. I do like a card draft. And the two things that I had major problems with in 8-Minute Empire, in the set collection, he got rid of that with special powers, not get rid of it, but he changed it with special powers. In the purchasing cards, I don't really feel like he got much choice because you have such a limited economy. He's now exchanged it for card drafting. Thank you, Mr. Lauka. I think that Lost Lands is going to be easily my favourite iteration of this system when it finally comes out this year. Uh, yeah, yeah, could quite easily be. He seems to be listening to feedback, which is always a good thing in a designer, and uh, he obviously runs the publishing company as well. That's never a bad thing. He's come back with a game, Legends, which I think improves on the original, and hopefully that this next one is another step up. So, I guess I've been focusing a bit on the negative, because it is such a simple game, and the positive is quite obvious in my opinion there it's an area control game in which you're just buying a card and doing the two things that the card does for you it works it's a good little filler it's easy to teach it's easy to introduce there's no rules overheads there's no complexity or kinks or strangeness to it it just starts flowing you can sit down and start playing within a couple of minutes and it is a micro game 
Is it very interesting? No. But it's good for 15 or 20 minutes. What I'm really interested in is the evolution of the system, as I've mentioned before. He moved up to Legends, he improved it. Lost Land is coming out this year, and I feel like that's going to improve it again. And I feel like 8 Minute Empire as a game system is getting towards being a very, very good filler. And I'm really looking forward to what, if anything, more Ryan Laucat does with this particular system. So, Empire good, Legends a bit better, Lost Lands, I'm looking forward to even more improvement. For me, 8 Minute Empire itself as a game, it's okay, it's good, I've had fun with it, it does offer some genuine choices, maybe not the deepest choices, but they are there. But now, in my collection, I want to get 8 Minute Empire, Legends, or Lost Lands into it. They're the ones I'm looking at to move forward, and it's a good start to the series, but I think it does get better as we move forward. Stop your tent. So the second game we're going to cover this week, and the game we have available in our competition, find out more about that next, is Hoyuk. Hoyuk is for two to five players. It's got a listed playtime of 60 minutes, and it was first published in 2006, but that might be slightly misleading. It was designed by Pierre Canwell. Pierre designed Hoyuk and lots of other print and play games, and he made Hoyuk in an original iteration available in 2006, but the game has since developed and changed, and Mage Company are the current publishers of it, and they took hold of it a couple of years ago. They've also published Wrong Chemistry and 12 Realms, and they took Pierre's original game, and they changed the rules around somewhat, they added a board to it, and they fiddle-dee-deed it, and... It was published along with a new expansion, Obstacles, actually at 2014 is when you could get the full publication copy. And there's another expansion coming out, Anatolia, 2015 has just been successfully kickstarted. So Major Company has taken the game and evolved it somewhat. Now, Hoyuk, what is it? Well, firstly, that name. Hoyuk is the Turkish word for what in English we would call a tell, which is an artificial hill which has been created by many generations of settlements. Imagine the bricks crumble down and you build on top of it, and eventually you get this flat-topped sloped hill. That gives a suggestion to what the theme of the actual game is and players are going to be laying tiles on a grid on a board and they're laying the tiles which are mostly going to be houses and sometimes features to go with those houses and when you create a block of houses in your own colour for your player it's called a family. When more than one family are joined together on the board that is called a village and that's what you're going to be doing throughout probably six rounds in general of play is laying these tiles down to form several villages with your colour houses in, adding features to them and scoring for those features. You're trying to get supremacy both within area control by having the most houses within villages and also with certain features, as I say, we're going to describe these when I talk about the construction phase and having the most of all these features within each village. How is the game itself played? It's played over four phases in each of these rounds. The first phase is the construction phase. Each player is dealt two construction tiles, one at a time. And you flip over the construction tiles simultaneously and they will show you three features you can build. So you don't have a free reign in what you build on the board. There will be two houses in your colour and then another thing. Now that's going to be either another house of your colour to add to the board. 
it can be a shrine. Now, shrines go on houses, and you're going to get rewards for having the most shrines, and we'll talk about that when we get to a later phase. Very similarly to shrines, you also have ovens, which you can add onto houses, and they work almost exactly the same way as shrines. And the last thing are pens, and pens go adjacent to houses. When you're laying houses, you can put them almost anywhere you like, apart from if you are already present in a village, you must lay your house adjacent to one of your houses that's already there. And certainly in multiplayer games, that leads to good opportunities to block each other and block each other out of villages and cause a bit of screwage. The second phase in the game is something that was definitely built upon by Mage Company there, and it's the catastrophe phase. Apart from in the first round, you're going to draw a card. The card is going to discuss some feature on the board. It may be ovens, it may be shrines, it may be houses, pens, whatever it may be. Most houses, fewest houses, most two-story houses, because when you're laying tiles, you can build houses up to two stories tall. Either the village with the most of this feature or the fewest of this feature is then going to be hit by a catastrophe, and some houses are going to have to be ruined. Now that means that you're going to affect some scoring for later on in the game. It also gives you a chance to spatially manipulate the board and create opportunities to build for yourself or block others off or even split up villages. And that can be quite interesting. When you're laying tiles in the construction phase you can never join two villages together. So therefore in the catastrophe phase you can split up a village and create two smaller villages which might give you or someone else some kind of an advantage. The th third phase is where everyone gets awarded aspect cards. Now aspect cards allow you a chance to build some extra features, they also give you a chance to score VP and we'll talk about that in one sec but first of all I'll tell you how you get them. Starting with the start player, they point to one village. In that village you're going to see who has the most shrines, who has the most ovens and who has the most pens. And each of those players is going to take a card from a face up stack according to each of those features. So there's a shrine deck, there is a oven deck and there's a pen deck and they come from a mixed together bunch of 30 cards so there's not particular shrines or cards in there. Those aspect cards have got a large bit of artwork which is irrelevant unless you're using the Anatolia expansion so we won't worry about that just now but they've also got a smaller piece of artwork in the top left corner and that's going to be one of the features I've just discussed. It's going to be a house, it's going to be an oven or a shrine or it might be a wild card. You may use these cards later on in the game to either build an aspect which is shown on the card so like I said, oven, shrine or pen, or you can collect them in sets and you can hand them in for points. Each round you can only hand in as many as you are present in villages on the board and that drives people to expand out and not just hunker down and take over one village because then they're only ever able to use one aspect card. There's then just a short fourth phase at the end of each round where you clean up and then the start player chooses who's going to be start player next turn and generally being start player is a disadvantage because as in a lot of tile laying games you want to see what other people have done on the board before you start taking your actions but possibly not. Once someone has built all their houses now you get 25 houses over the six rounds you build a minimum of four each round and generally at least one person is going to build one extra one so it will be six rounds most games. We then count up victory points and you score victory points in only three different ways. First, for each village on the board at the end of the game, whoever has the majority in houses of their colour in that village scores one point per house of their colour in that village. Secondly, each aspect card in your hand at the end of the game is worth one victory point. Thirdly, you may have handed in aspect cards according to that set collection and scored bonus VP throughout the game. So for example, having five of a particular feature, five shrine cards, you'll be able to hand them in as long as you're in five different villages and that will score you 12 extra points. 
that is the base game. It's quite simple and quite straightforward. The game does include two expansions in it, and I will quickly go through those. The first expansion is sort of like a medium level game, so that's the beginner game I've discussed. The medium level game brings in more aspect cards, and those are awarded not just for the three features I mentioned, but also for having the most two story houses in a village, and also having the most houses in a village. Now, two stories, I kind of brushed over a bit there, but if you have a tie in shrines or ovens when you're doing these aspect cards, Shrines or ovens on a two-storey house will break that tie. So there's a reason for building two-storey houses, even if you're not using this particular medium mode where you're going to get aspect cards for it. There's an advanced game in there. That brings in a couple of extra rules. There's a shaman. If you draw the construction card that has the shaman on it, the shaman will go on a particular village of your choosing, and that village is immune from catastrophes. There are also special powers for each of the different colours, and if you hand in five aspect cards of the same type, you get to do your own individual colour special power might be add a house, take a house away they're just small extras if you manage to do that set collection and also they add two extra aspects to the game on the construction tiles there are cattle which you can add to pens and there will be aspect cards scored for those each round and there are also villagers, little villager meeples which you can add to houses and there will be aspect cards awarded for those each round now it sounds like I've had a load of rules there but in this game you're going to draw construction tiles lay some tiles on the board check aspects of each village to see who gets aspect cards and then do a clean up phase it's quite quick playing Sean first thoughts on Hoyuk so Ronan we previewed this a little bit while back just before Essen of last year and I'm going to go back to one of the things that we mentioned in that preview the rule book it's one of our bugbears and although a lot of this game pleasantly surprised me that rule book was still there was still too much information things were repeated and it wasn't quite the rule book it should be because this game is actually for the basic game is actually quite an easy game to teach once you know it so i don't know why that made it so difficult the rule book to me feels like the result of the evolution of the game the game started in one iteration in the print and play and it's evolved and Pierre has added to it and changed it over the years and then major company have come in and have changed it and there are lots of hangovers from previous rules in there there are rules which are explained which don't really need a page of explanation they're quite straightforward but have got them and then other rules put in slightly strange places it's nicely presented it's got good graphics but it feels to me like it needs an editor it needs someone to come in have a look at it and go take all that out you've put in too many sentences there you've put in the wrong graphics switch it around a little bit if they had a real good rulebook editor i think most information is there when you first read the rulebook it feels like there's much more going on to the game than there is than once you get into it someone teaches you and it's pretty straightforward which actually brings me to one of the aspects that i really thought was well done about the game is that structure to learning with the different levels you come in at the basic level and you find out about the general mechanisms within the game. How do you play it? You lay tiles in a certain fashion. And how do you win your aspect cards? Then you can step it up a level. And then, as you said, move it up that level again. Bringing in more things that you can win aspect cards for. The shaman comes in. And also you can tailor it to what you want out of the game. If you want a quick, simple tile-laying game with not too much going on. We'll have the base game today. But tomorrow, oh, we've got Lloyd coming round who likes a deeper game. Let's play with everything thrown in. So I like the way that it was structured for learning. And you can tailor it to your needs. Yes, I do like that. But I think they'd have been better off deciding what game they wanted to pull out. 
I feel like they've thrown as many things as they can at it to give you this kind of modularity and as with the rule book it felt like it needed someone to come in and go right these are the best aspects of this game this is what we need to focus on this is the package we're presenting as Hoyuk the way that it kind of has come out is that there's lots and lots and lots you can add in it doesn't necessarily all work so I can be more specific with that with those modular expansions you could put in putting in the villagers into in your houses to score aspect cards or putting cattle into your pens makes sense to me and they add another way of playing and another way to vie for majority and they add a way of adding aspect cards because in the base game there are too few aspect cards being awarded so it means the aspect cards are far more secondary so if you've got four or five players and you're only awarding three aspect cards around they're only going to come out for six rounds there's not a lot of cards floating around so you need some way of getting more cards in the medium level they've done it is for awarding cards for more two-story houses and more houses in the village my problem with that is building a two-story house there is a reason for that already to take the advantage to put your shrine or oven on it and try and get a way up there if you reward me with aspect cards for doing that twice as in I do it to try and get ahead in oven so I get the oven aspect card and also now I'm getting a bonus card for having done it it kind of wonks it a little bit it makes it a little bit unbalanced same with if you give me an aspect card for having the most houses in a village now most houses in the village is the majority of scoring in the game you're rewarding me twice for the same thing and in a game where the construction is quite limited you are kind of prescripted what you can build and it's from there that you're making your tactical decisions where to go or strategic decisions even to reward something twice throws it out a little bit so there's different bits of expansions that work and don't work the shaman I really dislike him it, there's one tile in 15 that's got the shaman on if you happen to draw it you get the shaman you put it on a village where you, you think a catastrophe might affect you okay the catastrophes are very random the drawing off the shaman is then very random but the catastrophes can be fairly damaging you know you can lose half your houses in a village which it could be a whole chunk you know five six points if it's a village that you have most houses in and you're losing half of them and you're expecting those houses to score at the end of the game and there's no coming back for it you haven't got time to do it so to add random on top of random that's a step too far catastrophes they've added more catastrophes in and this is something i definitely want you to comment on sean every catastrophe happens in two iterations one if you have the most of something one if you have the fewest of something so there's a fire for most ovens or fewest ovens and there's locusts for most houses and fewest houses I feel like they'd be better off having one of each catastrophe so that you know that most ovens is at risk fewest shrines is at risk most houses is at risk not both either way and making it too swingy I've gone on for ages there Sean cut in quick Right, well, first of all, let's just go back slightly. I disagree with you. I, I actually like the adding of the, the levels and making it a little bit more strategic in, in itself. I like the fact that the end game points are to build up your village and that they added the little in-game bonuses for that. I liked that. I felt that it was a nice stepping stone for the advanced level. But, okay, we're going to have to agree to disagree. I think where we are going to agree is the catastrophes. It is completely random in a three or four player game you almost have to sort of sit in the middle if you don't want to be affected by the catastrophes yeah having those two cards that one affects most and one affects least yeah i think it is too much and i do like your suggestion where you you just have one of each that affects each area what i do like about the catastrophe cards is 
not always, but sometimes you can actually use them to good effect, even if you get absolutely smashed. And I'll go back to that very first game we ever heard of Hoyuk Ronan when we were playing with another player and I had a massive village of yellows. I was dominating and everything, put all my eggs in one basket and the catastrophe affected the two other players a lot more than it did me so they effectively broke off the village and formed their own little village took away the tiles that connected them to me and I could not connect back to that so that village all of, well my settlement my family was all of a sudden useless until the end of game scoring I liked that even though it affected me and I got absolutely slaughtered for it I liked that aspect of it I actually think the Tastries are a good addition so I probably just started with that. I think it would be a bit too dry without them and everything you could kind of work out exactly what's going to happen. The catastrophes add that element of random. It kind of goes with the theme, goes with the early settlements where things are going to happen to you. You're going to have to come back from knockbacks. I like the catastrophes. I just think you need one of each in the game so you can have some idea vaguely of what might happen to you. If I'm in the village with the most ovens, I might have a fire. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, I agree. I think it does add that little bit of theatre. And yeah, as you said, it could be quite a dry game without that moment of, oh, what's it going to be, what's it going to be? I think it adds a little little bit of excitement when you're turning over that card. Let's talk about the components, Sean. Yes, let's talk about the components. Go on then, hit me. Well, I, mean, I actually think this is a pretty striking game. I have one issue, but generally the tiles are big... They pop out nicely. You can tell immediately who's got what where. I like the board. Although one of our issues was that the board doesn't do anything. I think Anatolia addresses that, which we'll talk about later. But we'll talk about Hoyuk. I didn't like the way that there was rivers going through this board and areas of forest and hills. And and they didn't make any difference. Not one jot of difference to where you placed your tile. You've just a, a place to put your tiles. But... It looks really nice. It's vibrant. My only criticism of the actual design of the components is when you flip those rubble tiles, they don't pop up from the board enough. You can't immediately see them. They kind of fade in a little bit, especially with the pen tiles. They kind of look a little bit similar and not, they don't stand out enough for me. But generally, Ronan, I actually think it's a pretty striking game. So yeah, when a catastrophe affects a house, you don't take it away, you flip it over because it maintains the boundaries of the village to prevent people from being able to build in and out and steal land and what have you. I, I think they're really good, high quality of components. I like the, the oven meeples, the shrines, the cattle, they're all well made, the cards are good quality, the game board's nicely made, it's all thick and sturdy, it handles well. I think it's really well made. In terms of the game board having the water going through it. Anatolia addresses that you're able to build up a system of waterworks, but a system of five hours is connected to water gives you a bonus and achievement in the game. It adds achievements also for the major artwork on the aspect cards, which we discussed in our preview. Why was there this huge artwork in it? Well, eventually, with the release of Anatolia, they've tied all these things in together, and now all the components are there for a reason, and it all kind of makes sense. And it, again, it's down to you, really, which aspects of those you wish to play with. Now, Good quality components. What we haven't really talked about too much is the gameplay, Sean. We've been talking about expansions, we've talked about components, we've talked about the rulebook. The actual gameplay itself, actual review of the game, what do you think? Ronan, this is where I mentioned that I was pleasantly surprised. I wasn't sure after our preview whether I was going to like this at all. But 
it really shocked me how, how much I really did enjoy it. There's plenty of genuine choices with what do you do with your aspects cards, when are you going to break off and form a new block, what areas are you going to compete in, and then you've got to think about end game scoring, which is going to be a massive chunk of your scoring. There's a lot going on, it's very, very tactical. It's also the timing of when you do things, because you can't spend those aspect cards unless you've got enough areas on the board, separate families on the board. So if you only have three families and you have five aspect cards in your hand, you can only spend three of them because you've only got three families. That's another interesting choice to make. It's very head scratchy. I'm absolutely terrible at it, but Ronan, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. If anyone remembers our preview, we were a bit scathing about Hoyek, about its look, about its rulebook, about how we thought it was going to play. And this is why Mage Company actually contacted us and said, well, here you go. We think it's a better game than you think it is. And you know what? They were right. It is a better game than we thought it would be. The gameplay is flows. We didn't like the idea that the construction tile tells you what you're going to build. It's not something you get in many games. If you didn't have that limitation what you can build... There would be too many choices. It would become massively AP. It keeps it flowing. Can you get slightly screwed on drawing just oven tiles? You can a little bit, yeah. Can you get screwed by the catastrophe then coming out that messes with the fact that what you've drawn? Yeah. It's a 60-minute game. Okay? That is the longest it's going to run. In this length of game, if there's a slight amount of luck going on, I'm not too bothered. And generally, everyone's building two or three houses anyway per go. So you're not going to get massively behind. Like you said, there is a penalty for trying to just hide in one village, but also you're taking a risk, but there is a bonus, because if at the end, if you've kept two houses in one place, you will score massively for all those houses. There's choices to make there. There's great opportunities, especially with higher player counts. Now, that might be the one gameplay criticism is it only really works with higher player counts. I'm not sure about it being a two-player game. I'm really not. Three players, it works, it's fun, Four and five, you're getting into real screwage opportunities, blocking, someone starting a village and suddenly everyone going, oh no, you've given them an opportunity to do this, an opportunity to do that. Different clashes in different villages over different aspects between people. Great interplay to backwards and forwards. The gameplay itself is a lot of fun. Except there's that bit of random in there, but you're still going to have to think quite deeply about what you're doing pick your battles wisely, choose where to go and who you think you're going to take on here and there. Roland, yep, couldn't have put it better myself and for me to sum up on Hoyuk, it looks good, everything works for me, I do particularly like the way that the different levels that you can add and the fact that it is modular and I think it aids the learning curve to the game, I think it is a pretty easy game to pick up even though the rule book does try to sort of kid you otherwise. And I've thoroughly enjoyed all my games of this, and I look forward to playing it again. As I said, I'm not very good at it. It's not the type of game that I excel in, but the fact that I still enjoy playing it and still look to play it and look how I've gone wrong, and I'm on a learning curve myself on this one. So Hoyuk, yeah, definite thumbs up for me. Yeah, I found it really enjoyable. Almost a surprise, we said the first time we got it to the table, started playing, we went, wow, this is actually really fun. 
I love the screwage abilities, the fact you can corner people in, you can just absolutely trash their one area of power. What we did to you with the catastrophes and cut you off from your massive village, you never Tart. did that again. <laughs> it looks nice, it feels nice to play, there's an aesthetic to it. We've said before that within a board game, when you're able to create something, and at the end of it you say, I did this, this is what I've done, there is a certain satisfaction to it, and that is there in Hoyuk. You have a blank board, and by the end of the game you have a board with all these different houses all over the place and when you understand the rules all interesting situations and conflicts and people have gone lots of two-story buildings to try and get advantages or spread out to lots of villages or try to keep a power base Real, you know there is a story to be told at the end when you look back at the board the rule book could do with editing I think some of the kind of modules could do with editing but as you heard from Sean opinions vary I am going to make a controversial statement which over in Sean's house might get me beaten up here the game that it feels like to me in that you're laying tiles but where you can lay the tiles is limited but it allows you to either be constructive and try and build stuff of your own or be conflicting with other players you can be a bit screwy it feels a bit like Carcassonne Sean Oh, now you're getting into Rado territory. That was the big statement he made. Oh, did he really? <laughs> yes, he said it was a Carcassonne killer. I think it sounds like Carcassonne, Sean. What do you think, buddy? <laughs> he actually said, I think it's a Carcassonne killer, Ronan. Oh, let's not go too far. <laughs> That's genuinely what I felt. Rado, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think with comparisons to Carcassonne? I think, yeah, I definitely can see the comparisons where whether it's a Carcassonne killer or not I think Whoa, well, I yeah. didn't say that <laughs> no no <laughs> but it's definitely there and there's a lot of the same elements and a lot of the same things that make Carcassonne so much fun are, are in this game so absolutely I might call you Jen for the rest of the episode oh if only <laughs> and those were our thoughts on Hoyuk and coming up next is your chance to win a copy of this not quite Carcassonne killer Really good tile layer. <laughs> hey, Ronan! Okay, so as Ronan mentioned, we have a Hoyuk competition running where Mage Company have supplied us with a brand new copy of the game that we've just talked about. Ronan's going to give you some details about the competition. So we're going to post this anywhere in the world to one of our listeners. You've got to get your entry in by the 28th of February and we want an answer to this question. If you were designing a Civ building game like Hoyuk, what catastrophe would you add to it and what would the effect be? What's the type of catastrophe and what would it do to people's civilizations? Please put your answers into the Game Pit Competition at gmail.com. The Game Pit Competition at gmail.com. Closing date is 28th of February, which means you can get them in on that date. That's not a problem. And in episode 43, I'll pick it over the bones episode, which is one after the next, we will be reading out the entries, choosing a winner, and that will be winging to you, ready to play sometime in March. Good luck and get those entries in now. You haven't got long left. Okay, moving on from the competition. We're now going to talk about Titan Tactics, which is a 2013 release from 
Imbalanced Games, LLC, and designed by G. Kelly Toyama. It is played by two players only, and in a time frame of about 30 minutes. Yeah, I think that's pretty much on the button. It is a skirmish game with grid movement, hand management, and variable player powers. What players are going to do in this game? You're going to choose a faction, and then you're going to choose three characters or creatures, and these are called champions, from the six on offer from each of the factions. And you're going to place them on their home space on an 8 by 8 grid, which forms the game board. The factions themselves range from pirates to the undead to dragons and wizards, and there are even angels in this. So there's a wide spectrum of, of creatures and characters. Each champion is going to give you an ongoing ability, or perk, as they're called in the game, which allows you to either move more, reduce damage, take an extra action, that kind of thing. They also have a range of three abilities, which will be activated by playing coloured skill cards from your hand. On a turn, each player has two action points to spend, and you can spend them to move, yield, or use one of these abilities. Once these are spent, players have the choice to either push or plan. Push is going to give you a third action point, and plan is going to allow you to take three skill cards into your hand. The aforementioned cards, as I've talked about them, I haven't mentioned what they do. They come in five colours, with three of each colour, and these are how you power the abilities of your champions. The cards are always selected and not blindly drawn, and you start with a hand of five of these cards. Each of the abilities, as I said, are represented by a colour. You simply play a card of the same colour to use the ability. For example, there's a backstab where you use a red, and if the opponent is engaged with another champion, you do two points of damage, otherwise you do one point. There's a snipe action which allows you to do damage from anywhere on the board. And there's quite a wide variety of actions that these cards give you as well. Players will move around this grid trying to inflict as much damage on each other as champions as possible and the game will be scored as follows. The score track calculates the damage delivered with the marker starting on zero. Players will try to get the marker as far around on the opponent's side of the track as possible with damage being reduced if the marker is on your side rather than damaging the opponent until the marker is back on the opponent's side. If one of you should ever reach 10 points of damage then you are the victor. Otherwise, each round, a momentum point is awarded to the player who has the damage marker in the opponent's section. Three of these momentum points wins the game. Ronan, Titan Tactics. Sean, anyone who opens this box is not going to be wowed by those components. Ronan, anyone who looks at this box is not going to be wowed by the box. Yes, correct. (laughs) <laughs> sorry I yeah I just want to start start with that that box Roland's such a bland box now this is a a new company from what I understand this is their first released imbalanced games and it's not a big box and to have this dull grey box where the artwork really doesn't pop up from from the box at all it almost it's quite hard to see what the artwork is It's not doing what they need it to do. They need this game to catch people's eye. Oh, what's that? That looks interesting. And it just doesn't do it. And then when you open the box, you've got this 8x8 grid. And we've gone from Hoyuk, which has this sort of massive board. 
and the, the tiles are thick pieces of cardboard easily to handle and you go to this one which has a tiny little board which is quite bland and the tiles are quite difficult to manipulate i don't dislike the artwork so much it's okay it's fine but the actual components themselves right they're not great they're not great i do have to put my standard artwork complaint off some of the women need to have more clothes on you cannot <laughs> fight with a roll of sellotape around your bazooms anyway then moving on learning how to play the game who am i in this game sean how does it work that these people are getting punched but never taking damage but i'm getting damaged it, it's funny blend of trying to put a very thematic veneer over an abstract game at first glance i don't think there's anything that really explains that in the game it, it's a funny way of dealing the damage. You never lose a champion on the board. They're, they're always there no matter how much damage they take. It's you that takes the damage. The only kind of hindrance at all are these markers that you can place. If one of your characters, for instance, is a hamstring that stops them being able to move around the board. So you place a marker on that. That's the only real damage that is done to the creatures on the board. So it's quite, yeah, it is quite abstract. It's quite weird. It's a weird start. Mm, yes, okay. I concur. Yeah. Okay, so we kind of you're feeling a bit like, oh, what's going on here? Now, we were sent a review copy of this game, by the way, and there are some games that we get sent to review which never make it to air, and we always do go back to publisher and say, look, I don't think you want us to air what it is we have to say about this game. And that's where I felt we were going with this game. Yes, we're going to talk about the uh, learning game, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. So there's this original <laughs> setup. Of the six squads in the game, there are six characters for each of the squads, and they only use three. And for the learning game, it tells you to use these two particular squads and use these three characters for each of them, and then start playing. That setup is an absolute disaster. Now, because I don't want to get too emotional, I think I'm going to let Sean describe some of the issues with... (laughs) I don't know how many times we have to say it, when you... Describe a setup of a game. You need to show the game at its best. This one, Sean? Ronan, this one is kind of broken. I suppose if you look at it from the broader picture, it does what it sets out to do in terms of it teaches you how to play the game. But it doesn't teach you anything about how the game works down in its meat about choosing your characters and about balanced teams and looking what your opponent's got because it throws these two teams together and now there is one of the champions that has this snipe ability which you can shoot from across the board and they're not obstructed by anything and they're just going to hit but, the but, other characters. But Sean, there are walls on the board. There are walls we have to place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yet the snipe can still happen okay fine as we found out there's ways around that later in the game but spoilers learning this game spoilers i know i know when you're learning this game and the characters that they they give to the other team have nothing that really can hinder that person at all the nature of the game is if you get into the opponent's damage zone then you're going to get those momentum markers before you get your characters to that snipe action which is going to do three damage without even blinking an eye because you're always going to be able to choose the colour card you want I think it's a yellow card so you're always going to have three yellow cards in your hand ready for that one here you go three damage on that character <laughs> okay thank, thank you there's no coming back 
There's no coming back because you are in. By the time you get over, you're you're, you're into the second round before you get next to the. And you're so far round. in deficit. Yeah, and you're so far in deficit that you just can't get. And you're parroting my words. Tip for tip. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yes, I'm parroting your words. It's exactly words. true. It's exactly true. Because you just cannot. <laughs> you just can't get back to parity because it becomes a tit for tat once you get next to the sniper but you're so far behind at that point then all the other person's got to do is match you or not even or do slightly worse than you we talked about pack of heroes back a few episodes where it's supposed to be a spatial aspect but it's a very small grid and therefore the spatial aspect was meaningless in this it's a much bigger grid but the sniper made spatial aspect seem meaningless and we played two plays of the learning game so we could play either side just to see if one of us was playing poorly or were we not doing snipe properly whatever and then we started another play of it and one player chose snipe his name is Sean and one player (laughs) didn't choose snipe because he was trying to try something different round and a half of the five maximum five rounds into that game I was ready to throw this game in the bin send the apology email back to Unbalanced Games and just go, Sean, this is, no, I'm sorry. We've, we don't want to put out purely negative reviews, especially if someone has been polite enough to send us a review copy. So we will send back a, an email with our thoughts saying, this is what we think. And that I was framing that email two games and a round and a half into this. But, Ronan, what you did do was you saw the character that I had and you picked characters to combat that action. Yes, it took you a while to get into the zone with the sniper and start doing problems, but you were able to completely take the sniper out. The sniper couldn't use that action anymore, or was very limited in using that action. So all of a sudden, it becomes a proper to-and-fro battle where I was doing a lot of things right at the beginning, and I kind of lost my way. Ronan hit his stride in the middle, and we got to the point where midway through the game... I was literally a point from winning the game. If I'd have got the momentum marker one point further on, I'd have won the game. And Ronan actually won the game in the end. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it. He was able to get amongst me. And partly through brilliant play by him, partly through poor play by me, because I had an ability to just keep throwing him back into the corner that I just stopped using. (laughs) (laughs) No one knows why I I stopped using it. I noticed him, but I didn't say anything. (laughs) Of course you didn't know. <laughs> but I I actually thought it was a, an exciting nail biting to and fro battle. I think we, I think we finished one round on actually tied, didn't we? And it actually went like that's extra right, round, it went six yeah. rounds because we didn't know what to do when it was tied, so we played it and just carried on playing. Yeah, the sniper who gave you the big lead, suddenly I was able to use a dragon sort of character to pull him in and then stick an effect on them so that he was minus one damage and then suddenly he was useless because with the minus one damage he was doing zero damage it cost me cards it's one of these seven permanent abilities that Sean mentioned earlier if you put an effect on someone else's character at the end of the round you must spend a card of that colour to be able to maintain that effect for the next round which then means that you're having to manage your hand you're having to take plan actions at the right time and this whole thing where you can draw whatever cards you want out of the deck, which feels really jarring when you start off. And it, because the characters are so thematic and that they do things that link into who they are, and then you've got these weird abstract things that don't really tie together, when you first start playing it, it is hard to get your head round. But then, like I say, it kind of it dawns on you and you go, oh, wow, 
I have to plan on turn one of this three turn round what cards I need going into the next round because if I want to maintain that ability I need that red but then I'm going to need that red here and then those two blues will go here and then what the other person does means that these plans you're making too far ahead breaks those plans and you haven't then kind of go oh I took these blues because they would have been handy but now he's done that now these blues are no use to me what shall I do I wish I had a white shall I take this extra action now to do the two damage to Sean which I need because I've got to shift that momentum marker or do I have to not take a push action and take a plan action because otherwise the next turn is going to be absolutely useless became genuinely interesting yeah, and I think that push and plan for such a simple mechanism within the game, it's actually so tempting to push because you really want that extra action. You really want to do that extra point of damage, but you need those cards as well. It's actually a genuine decision within the game. And I was going back to the game that we were talking about, where Ronan sort of came back from the dead and won. My team that I chose were all geared towards a quick start, doing a lot of damage quickly. But once Ronan got in amongst my team, he had a lot of abilities to, to hamper what I was doing. And he completely shut down my operation. And it was really interesting the way it worked. It showed that the team building out of the squads is really important. You have to have a plan of how you're going to play these characters. You have to have characters that will work together. I happened to choose two characters in one of our games that could spawn. And what that means is they put a token on the board that just takes up a space. And the other team has to hit them to get rid of them. Now, Sean wouldn't have normally hit a token because he's wasting his own damage on me to get rid of it. But then, between those two characters, I could drag some of Sean's characters to come next to the spawn, then use my second character to do a lot of damage to characters that are next to a spawn. They became flaming spawns. So I was using one dude to drag in these people, then using the next dude to set them on fire. And from this abstract game, suddenly you're linking these things, and you're going, it was fluke, because we don't know the characters very well. We've now played this a few times, but there are 36 different characters, and you can imagine all the different combos that are available. There's so many and different teams work differently against each other that that happened to work and you go wow that's clever that's cool but then of course Sean realises what I'm doing and then he adjusts what he's doing for the next round and he plans differently and takes different cards out and now the powers he was just spamming in the first couple of rounds he was just doing the same double white actions he's not using those anymore because something else has become more important and his whole hand management and manipulations had to change and the characters are varied, and not through some huge tables you have to roll up on, or different modifiers, or uh, rule books you're looking through. Simple rule set. Simple rules, but characters using the same rules in different ways. I was like, wow, the way I build this team is interesting. The way I use that team, the way you react to it. Oh, I really started getting into the game. And it is a half an hour game, maybe 40 minutes if you really, really get a bit of AP going. To pack that amount of decision and tension into 30 minutes was, was actually quite impressive in the end. I, I went away that day, and we played a whole range of games that day, and I went away thinking about this game. I'm not saying it was the best game we played that day, but it was the game that made me think about it and actually made me think, I wonder how much more that game has to give. Yeah, and I think probably plenty. The whole tug-of-war aspect to it lends it attention. And it's not just that it's called momentum in the game. It's very aptly named because 
it is a game of swings. It is a game of momentum. It is a game at which point you're up at one stage and then the other team reacts and they're up. Manipulating the board spatially, using Shroud wisely. Because what Shroud does, it kind of creates a mini board within the board, a 3x3 three three grid, where characters inside can't attack out and out can't attack in. And you can throw people back in it and isolate them for a minute and then start dealing with this other issue you've got over here. All works really well. I tell you, the phrase slow burner was absolutely created for Titan's Tactics because didn't make a good first impression. It just caught light three games in and suddenly that I want to play again and again and again. I want to see these characters. And oh, that character would go well with that character over there. Oh, let's try and use this one now. And so much to explore and learn. And as Sean said, quick games. You're not playing for two hours. You're just playing for half an hour. Lots and lots and lots going on. Every action changes the story of the game and you're back on again going, right, let's play this again. Really very very interesting like a competitive little puzzle that changes in which you're hand managing spatial aspects going on you've got to set up kind of long term plans but if you don't keep that momentum moving towards you then you're going to lose and you're going to lose ground and it's very hard to get it back once you've you've lost too much I can heartily recommend Titan's Tactics as a really good two player in your face game oh well there you go I think for me, yeah, it started off exactly where Ronan's did was I looked at that box and I thought, oh god, oh dear. I looked inside the box, oh no, oh no, it's not, it's not really working. And I will say, even moving forward, and it, well, now that I've got to the point where I actually enjoy the game, I still think that it's really fiddly. Putting down that shroud and having to move the characters on top of it, and if you knock the table, they're halfway across there, and you've got to work out where your characters were. It could be designed better, but I suppose it's designed to be portable. Okay, fair enough. But there's loads of variety in the characters and what the characters can do. The theme comes from what the characters can do. The pirates are all backstabby. The undead are hard to keep down. The dragons obviously do your fire damage. So that's where the theme comes from. A really good swingy game in terms of one person thinks they've got it sewn up, another person gets among them, does something nasty, puts them on the back foot. A game, again, I, I would recommend this game. Get past the box, get past the components, and you'll have a lot of fun with this, I think. And that is Titan Tactics. So the final game we're going to talk about this week is Omen Reign of War. This is a two-player card game, playtime of around 30 minutes, and it was first released in 2011, although it has been released almost every year since then, most recently with the Kickstarter campaign which was produced just in January of 2015 this year, and that's where we both got our copies, and we've been playing it since then, and we thought we'd share our thoughts. Now, the designer and publisher are one and the same. It's John Claudus and his company, Smallbox Games. He has produced Hemlock, Basum, Irondale, and other games, as you can imagine, which come out in small boxes. The theme of this one is, you are two demigod brothers, you are the sons of Zeus, and you are battling over the city-states in Greece for supremacy. You're going to be doing this by playing a hand of cards and paying money to play cards down onto the table over several rounds with seven phases over each round. In order to win the game, in the basic game you're going to be trying to achieve feats and also gain rewards for winning battles over these city-states. 
there is a shared deck of 48 cards with three unit types in there. There are soldiers, beasts and oracles which you can harness for your side in this struggle. When you win a battle in a city-state you can be able to take a reward from there to add to your hand and the game is going to end when either all rewards have gone in two cities or when one player has achieved five of the six feats available in the game. So if I run through the seven steps of each turn you're going to have a good idea of how we play. Firstly there's something called a wealth step. Each player goes through these seven steps in one go. So a player is going to take three wealth actions. They can take money or cards. If they take all three of one type they get a bonus one. So you can take three money will give you one bonus money and the same thing with cards. Then comes the surge step and this is where most of the action takes place. You're going to pay coins to play units from your hand. Now soldiers will go into a city and you'll pay coins for that and they will trigger an action when they go into a city. Oracles will also go into a city. They tend to have a lower battle rating than soldiers or the other unit type beasts but they give you an extra power in the next step, the portent step. And then there are beasts. Now beasts tend to be very powerful both in their fighting strength and also in their powers. However you have to choose to use them for one or the other. You either discard the card for its power or you place it into a city and it's going to fight there for you. You can place a maximum of five units into any city. A beast counts as two units for that limit and a city is going to trigger once there are five units in total in there or three on the other player's side but that's not going to happen just yet. You can have your chance to play all your cards and try and manipulate the cities to suit you or use special powers before the fighting actually happens. The next step is the portent step. These oracles, they all tend to have either a 1 or a 2 fighting ability, which is low for the game, but they have abilities. They will give you extra cards, or they'll let you draw extra coins, and a lot of them will have you look at the top card of the deck, and if it is an oracle, it will trigger an extra power for them. The fourth step is the feat step. There are six feats dealt to each player at the beginning of the game, and they are exactly the same for each player. And they give you rewards, which is two points at the end of the game, for such things as having a soldier in each city, or a beast in each city, or an oracle in each city, or having made the other player discard a certain number of cards, having drawn a certain number of cards. Just playing the game in particularly well over a round will allow you to flip over these feats two points each at the end of the game. There are expansions for this game. One of the expansions is challenges. I'll talk about that in a sec. There's a challenge step if you are playing with that expansion in there. All these expansions come in the box, by the way. There's not talking about buying more products. That's certainly anyway if you've got the Omega edition which just came out through the Kickstarter. The sixth step is the war step. Now this is when you're going to resolve any cities which are ready for battle. They are war torn. As I said, five total units in there or three of the other players units in a city and then you resolve. Simple as you add up the combat values in there. Whoever's got the highest combat value is going to win. They're going to discard down to one unit left in the city. The loser is going to discard down to two units left in the city and you're going to take one of the reward cards that are in there. There are four reward cards dealt out at the beginning of the game and that reward will come into your hand and it will have a special power on there and they really are quite powerful. The key is at the end of the game any reward card still in your hand is going to be worth two points. Any reward card you have used for its power goes face down and is going to be worth one point. The other slight kink to that is you could have got a maximum hand size at the end of your round is seven. And if you start collecting too many rewards and not using them and trying to hang on to them for points, you're going to limit very much the number of units you can have in your hand. Last step is the offering step. Now the third value on each of these units, first was the cost, second was the battle value, 
Third is the offering value, and you may discard that card to take a number of coins and or cards equal to the offering value of the card you just discarded. You run through those seven quick steps, the next player takes that turn, and you carry on going until, like I said, either two cities have been emptied of rewards, or someone has achieved five of the six feats. Quickly, I did mention expansions, I'll tell you what comes in the box, because that base game grows as you get more experience with it. There are two extra units you can add into the deck of 48, those are heroes and spirits. Heroes cost nothing to place, or instead of placing them in a city, you may discard them for a power. They all have a value for fighting when you use them to fight. So when you play spirits, they're very weak at fighting, however they have got two powerful special actions on them. You may spend extra to trigger both the powers, or as a normal play, you just choose one of the two to use. The challenges I mentioned earlier are like feats, but they're worth three points, and they actually add an extra end-game condition, so it's just something you're trying to achieve during the game. There are also relics. Relics are a powerful artifact you can claim instead of a feat, and you can add it to a city, and that will make you more powerful in that city for the rest of the game. And the last thing are whims. Whims are drafted at the beginning of the game, and they kind of balance up with the start player, because whoever goes second gets to choose and give one over to the start player. And they are also going to possibly give you powers during the game, and they may actually give or take away points when you get to the end. Lots of different cards I'm talking about there. Basic game. Play units into cities to try and achieve feats or win battles in that city. Sean, Omen Reign of War. I have been after this game for four years. I was very hyped up for it. I hoped it was going to be a great one. What's your first thoughts? I will start where I tend to start with the look of the game. And although the box is very simple, it's very striking, for the Omega edition anyway. But Ronan, once you open that box, those cards are stunning. The art in there is absolutely beautiful. There's no confusing icons. My only problem with that is that the art almost goes to waste sometimes because I'm looking at the text of the cards and sometimes I'm not playing a veteran soldier or a cyclops or what have you. I'm playing a card just for the text and I feel like I'm almost doing the card a disservice because the artwork is so beautiful. Yeah, but it helps though, doesn't it? They do look good. Oh, they do look good. And I was happy when I got that box and opened it up. I was like, oh, okay. This is some lovely art. There's different styles, different types of cards as well. I think the beasts tend to look a bit darker. The feats are quite stylized, especially when you flip them over. You know, each card looks kind of slightly different, which kind of helps with the functionality as well. You kind of go, okay, I have an idea what that is. Every card has got unique artwork, and it also has a unique function within the game. Sean, you're talking about lots and lots of unique units, which can be a problem. We've seen it in a couple of games recently ourselves we've been playing. Any problems here? Any broken units? Anything combos you've found that don't quite work? Well, not yet, Ronan, not yet. I think when I first picked up this game and started looking at how you play it, I felt like that's what the game was really about, and that was the only real decision to make, was choosing what creatures or soldiers go into each of those cities but it completely blew me away about the amount of decision that goes into every aspect you mentioned these stages and there's a lot of stages to the game and there's small but really important decisions to make starting with that first decision do you take all coins or do you take all cards because you get a bonus if you do that or do you take a mixture of the two a really simple choice to make but it really does affect 
how your turn goes and the subsequent turns. But to get back to your point, I haven't found anything in there that really doesn't click together. I like the way that the oracles almost act as your economic card. They're going to put cards into your hand and put extra money into your hand. I love the fact that the soldiers do what soldiers do. They are basic, bog standard, get in there, defend the city, attack the city, do what you need them to do. And then you bring the beasts in and they have these superpowers that you've really got to think about what to do with the beast. That's almost your biggest choice right there, is do you use this great power for the beast, or do you use their strength, because they are very strong. On top of that, you've got to think the beast counts for two for the city space limit. So do I really want to waste the beast that's going to cost me a lot of money to put down, and he's got a great power, rather than two soldiers that might cost me one to put down. So there's so much choice in just placing one card, Ronan, and so far I haven't found anything that doesn't work with that. One of the concerns for me when I first started playing it was those oracles seemed a bit weak. They're not great at fighting, they're quite cheap, they've got good offering value. I was like, oh, you know, if I draw too many of them I'm in trouble. So I thought I'd try it out, and I smashed out a load of oracles early, and I absolutely warped that game, because my portent step was ridiculous. Ridiculous! Are, I was just yeah. drawing a card, getting a coin, get two coins, get two cards. I was just—I had too many cards. I had to throw them away. I was sitting there with stacks. Of, I could barely see my they opponent. They are so the important. They, they could be your most important game. They keep everything ticking along. They certainly do, and they allow you to then make decisions during offering and wealth as to which way you want to go. Another thing I really love about it is that you can rush the game. You can really go after feats really quickly, and if someone's getting out three oracles you can see they're trying to do it to get a feat do you leave them alone or there's plenty of cards in there that work negatively and you can start attacking people and taking cards out of the game and if someone's had a big portent step or they've drawn loads of cards during their offering step you can come in with those cards that say okay you have to discard every soldier in your hand now you've got to discard every beast in your hand and you're going to get cursed to high heaven and you can play a more negative game and shut the other person down and make them fight for the cities and not be getting their feats too easily because someone can hit five feats pretty quickly and rush the game on you if you're trying to build a combat strategy and you have to be able to come back with that but the different cards allow you to do that. Let's not mention the take all the soldiers out of your hand card in this household. But no, no, it's not gone well. No, the, the missus didn't take too kindly to me completely ruining her th- three-round strategy. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> moving on. But I think that's, that's the beauty of the game. And as I said, you add in those heroes... Again, it's another choice. Oh my god, these heroes are fantastic if you throw them into into a city, but they're going to score me points at the end of the game, or oh, the offering value is great. Oh, what do I do? And then on top of that, when you just think you've had enough, the spirit cards give you a choice of two actions, or both. It's crazy how much thought has gone into a game that plays this quickly. I would say, Roland, that... I'm going to put it out there. I think this game has the best size to depth ratio that I think we've ever reviewed in the game pit. Whoa. It's a big statement. I probably haven't researched it. I probably haven't researched it as much as I should have. I can't think of a deeper game for the size of it. I will always say the standard, and it's very, very high is Race for the Galaxy. Yeah, we haven't reviewed that. (laughs) We've mentioned it. Okay, maybe I'll save my final thoughts on that for later on, but wow, you've come with a big statement there. The thing also with the hero and spirit cards, and this is what I really like, I was just talking about rushing to getting the feats done, and it can make the game finish quickly, and it takes away some of the depth, makes it a much quicker game. Heroes and spirits dilute the deck somewhat. 
in that they add more cards into that 48 card deck so it's not as easy to get three oracles or three soldiers or three beasts which are three of those six feats and then what that does is it makes the combat then become more important and if the other player has left one or especially if they left two units hanging around in a city if you are then in a position to strike and go bang 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 make five units appear in the city and make yourself be able to take that city out and grab that reward card and the heroes and spirits as well as their extra powers able to mess with people's plans interfere a little bit more build yourself up lets that combat actually become more important and makes the game slightly longer makes you have to think in slightly more ways you're not just thinking how do I do the next feat you're thinking whoa hold on if I start chasing this feat I'm leaving that city wide open and I love that just that few couple of extra units changes your whole thinking about the game. It does. And as I said, everything that is added to this game, whether you add these sort of mini expansions that come in the box, they all add something to it. You might not like what they add in some of the cases, but they all add something slightly different and another thing to think about. But it doesn't feel overwhelming, Ronan. I think the fact that it does come in stages and each stage is a very separate entity this is your wealth step this is your portent step i think that really helps it doesn't feel like oh my god i'm being swamped by decisions and there is a lot of decisions in there yeah i mean we just talked about race for the galaxy in depth in this game so i don't think it's as deep as race for the galaxy but i tell you what the barrier to learning is way way lower and that might be the trade-off that makes people go, oh, do you know what, I'd rather play this than Race for Galaxy. Because it really is simple to learn. It really does flow. Yes, there are unique cards, but they say in text what they do, and it all makes sense. There's nothing complicated. You're not chaining and adding tokens, and in four rounds' time something else is going to happen. It's just simple stuff, but the small changes change the whole field. So I think the depth for simplicity of the game is fantastic. It's amazing at what they've done with a simple set of rules. And the expansions you're talking about work with it. I don't love them all. I like a relic. I'm not that fussed by a challenge. Meh, or whims. But it's up to me what cards I put yeah, in that yeah, deck. And it's definitely. very easy to take them in and out. Ronan, uh, sorry, just a quick yeah. question. How do you feel about the recommended setup or the initial setup where you've just got the stack of cards and you get random cards? But there's also the draft variant. How do you feel about the draft variant of it? So, one of the drafts is, if you put in Heroes and Spirits, you've got 60 cards. And one of them is you put out 20 cards, and then you take turns drafting one at a time. Then you put out a second set of 20, and then a third set of 20. That is a long, old process for a 30-minute game. <laughs> that I don't think I can ever see myself get into the stage where I'm drafting from 20 cards, no matter how well I know them. I don't want to spend 15 minutes drafting to go and have 30 minutes gameplay. That that doesn't appeal to me. The alternative draft method in there, I might be more likely to give that a go. And that's, you get three cards each, keep two and pass one over. And you, you do that ten times. Yeah, that sounds the more interesting of the two. I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a big time investment in the first drafting one. I think the, the second one could be interesting. But even that one, I think you take away from the fact that this is a quick game to set up you just got to set up three cities deal a certain amount of cards to each other and dish out a few coins and then you're ready to go i think that would take away from the beauty of that and that's what i meant by the sort of size to to depth ratio not just the size of the box but the size of the game in terms of it only takes half an hour to play 
Yeah, I think you'd have to know the decks really, really well to be worried about drafting. It's just my opinion on it. And I mean, with so many cards, so many different effects, I, I feel like I'm trying to like build a deck for myself. I'd almost blow my mind. You end up with your own 30-card deck, right? That's that's how it works. And you, your discards go to your own discard and what have you. So I suppose you know what you're not going to get hit with if you know the cards really well. But, uh, do you know, that's so far down the line. I'm just... <laughs> let's not worry about that. For me, I'm happy after quite a few plays already to just play it at the level it's at where you get out of the game 30 minutes lots of fun attacking each other but one of the good thing I feel that even though there's direct combat on the attacking is that at least if you lose you're left with two units and the other person's left with only one so you get that slight compensation so you don't feel like you're getting beaten up again and again and again although I do like to leave a big beast hanging around when I've won a city I like that's a little bit of a threat there <laughs> And I, that's another, actually, it's something I do like. You're already on a better footing after losing the city, so the the winner has to really think about that city again and building up. So I, I like that as well. It keeps everybody in the game and nobody's going to get completely swamped. There's a nice like type of timing aspect for yourself when you're thinking about when to trigger a city and, and what opportunities you'll leave the other person, whereby if someone's got a couple of really weak units in there, I'm happy to spam a city because I know they're going to be left with two weak units in there. But if they've got two quite decent units, I'm they're much more reluctant to win that city because then they're in a position to just put two weak units in on their own turn and win the city straight back. So it's just tit for tat. So I, I kind of like that aspect to it as well. If you're thinking well, I could win it, but do I want to win it? Yeah. So you can almost use the soldiers to defend the city. We've talked about games before, and there are lots of games out there, Sean, with this idea where there's an area in the middle of the board and you're going to play cards to it and you're going to try and win it you're talking about specifically Battle Line the Martin Wallace card game Fields of Glory possibly even Lost Cities Draco Magi which we've previewed before I think a lot of people are going to look at the gameplay possibly even see a video and go well, it's just another one of those play cards down to try and win a particular space game what do you think is worth looking at here? well first of all Ron you missed my favourite one of those is Blood Bowl Team Manager I feel like there's more going on in that one. Yeah, yeah, there, are, there definitely is. For the ones that you mentioned, I think the difference in this is just the different ways that the cards worked. That each unit acts in a different way. You've got to think about the timing, as you mentioned before. You've also got to think about, is it worth putting this card down? There's the defensive aspect that we talked about. I think there's there's so much decision going down. It's not just a case of... My blue dragon has three points. The person down there's got a gold dragon with four points, so I better add a red dragon as well. It's not that. It's not just not a simple fire. I'm going to win that battle because I've got more power. You've also got to think about your economic engine with the oracles, and are you going to take up two space with a beast? Things chain together. If I put down this, that triggers that. That soldier can move. We didn't talk about units can move from city to city, and every time a soldier goes down, they trigger their ability, no matter if they've placed from your hand or moved from city to city. So there's so much to think about, and I think that's the beauty of the game. Sean, I don't think this is going to get much of a kicking in our sum up. Would you like to take us out on Omen Reign of War? Yeah, I think I've said it all in the game. It's going to be a very quick sum up. Looks amazing. Plenty of genuine choices in there. I like the way that you can tailor the game to your taste, much like the way I liked Hoyuk, in terms of you can add the expansions or you can take them away. 
I think the Spirits and Heroes are a must for me. I really enjoyed the game with them added in. Yes, yeah, so, so much to do in a beautiful game and that plays in a very, very quick time frame for what you get in it. A huge hit for me. Yeah, I've been waiting for this game for four years. I couldn't get hold of it. I never saw it in the shops. I must have missed Kickstarters and all sorts. But anyway, I got it this time round. With a four-year build-up, there's the risk you're going to be disappointed. I was not disappointed in any way with Omen Reign of War. It is just fantastic, in-your-face, fun, not bitchy because everyone's always able to come back at each other. A game in which you can choose the pace of it. All the card work is obviously a craft of love and it shows just a fantastic two-player game. Omen, a reign of war. And there we have it, a very positive episode 41 from us there, Ronan. I don't know what's happened. What's all gone wrong there? Next episode, please do join us. We are going to be taking on the beast of a game that is Virgin Queen. Sean and I are going to be having our first play with some of our friends. And we are going to be telling you all about it. Something new we haven't tried before. Talking through the game. Discussing how it goes. And then having a big review at the end of it to see. Is Virgin Queen the multi-hour beast about Europe worth your time and massive effort to learn and play? Well, some undertaking there, Ronan. It has been. It's been a two-month undertaking so far. (laughs) Right, so if Ronan survives, then I hope to see you back for that episode. And just to remind you that we have that competition. It's up on February the 28th. You must get your entries in by that date or on that date. It is thegamepitcompetition at gmail.com. That's thegamepitcompetition at gmail.com. Get your entries in and we look forward to seeing them. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network along with the very best in gaming podcasts. You can find us on 2d6.org along with a whole host of excellent gaming content. You can email us on thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com We are on Twitter at gamepitpodcast. We have a Facebook page, come and find us there or find us on our Board Game Geek Guild and ask us some questions. We hope to hear from you. Music. Music.